morning. Thanks so much for joining us today. If you have a Bible, if you wouldn't mind turning to Matthew chapter 24, um, we're going to be reading kind of an extended passage. And uh, if you do have a Bible today, even more than, than any other week, it's going to be helpful to have that open, whether that's on uh, your phone or a physical Bible. Uh, if you don't have one and would like to look, al- look along, there are some Bibles in the back, so feel free to grab one. So we're looking at Matthew chapter 24. We'll be uh, reading the whole, pas- the whole chapter today. It says, Jesus left the temple and was going away when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. But he answered them, you see all these, do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us when these things will, will be and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age. Jesus answered them, see that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ. They will lead many astray. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of the birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my namesake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down to take what is in his house, and let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days. Pray that your flight may not be in winter or on a Sabbath. For then there will be great tribulation, such as not has been from the beginning of the world until now. No one never will be. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Then if anyone says to you, look, here's the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise, perform great signs and wonders, so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. So if they say to you, look, he's in the wilderness, do not go out. If they say, look, he's in the inner room, do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will it be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man. Then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. He will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the, other, of the heaven to the other. From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also when you see all these things, you know that he is near at the very gaze. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in, as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. They were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So it will be with this coming of the Son of Man. 
And then two men will be in the field, one will be taken, one will be left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken, one will be left. Therefore stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his servant has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that wicked servant says to himself, My master is delayed, and begins to beat his fellow servants, and eats and drinks with drunkards, the master of of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and an hour he does not know, and will cut him into pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Well, many of us love a good mystery story, good mystery novel, uh, or maybe a movie that, you know, maybe you don't get the full picture at the beginning where you have to kind of put the pieces together and then you get to the end and uh, maybe you figure out that, that puzzle piece, you figure out how the, all the parts come together. And there's something like satisfying about that, figuring out a mystery. And some of us, like, there's some movies where you don't get that, where there's, you know, something left, left up to interpretations. For some of us, it drives us crazy. It's like, what, how does it end? And maybe it's not clear. We all love puzzles, or many of us love puzzles, or putting together those kinds of mysteries. Um, there was an article in Time Magazine several years ago, and apparently the, every year there's a, uh, an event called the World Puzzle Championship. This takes place at several places throughout the world, and thousands of people who are involved in puzzling come together, and these people, like, they're all about puzzles. They eat, sleep, and sometimes they even dream about puzzles, putting together different puzzles. And and there's many different reasons why maybe people are are fascinated with puzzles, but uh, the article went on to note that there's hundreds of millions of people around the world who, who maybe they like to do puzzles. Maybe it's, you know, a, a, a table puzzle, or maybe it's something like Sudoku, or a game on your phone, or iPad, where you have to put the pieces together. There's something satisfying about that. There's also many puzzles in the Bible. There's some puzzles that maybe we want to figure out. And, and often those puzzles relate to end times events. And kind of the centerpiece of, of that equation is like, when is Jesus going to come back? And so that's a puzzle that like, we, we want to know the answer to, like what's going to happen and how is it going to happen, when Jesus is going to return, when the rapture is going to happen, if the rapture is going to happen, what's this millennial kingdom that Jesus talks about. And there's all these puzzles that we want to get to the bottom of and know what's going to happen in the future. Now, people have come up with various answers specifically related to like when is Christ going to return throughout history. Uh, for example, just a few examples, and, and there's a number of, uh, more that you could cite, but in the early uh, centuries of the church, a few of the church fathers firmly believed that the millennial reign of Christ would begin in 500 A.D. After that, the Italian mystic Jehoiakim of Fior determined that the millennial reign of Christ would begin between 1200 and 1260 A.D. The astrologer Johann uh, Johannes Stoffler believed that an alignment of Piskies on February 20th, 15, uh, 1524, indicated the start of the millennium. The mathematician Michael Stifel calculated that Judgment Day would begin on October 19th, 1533, 
He was very, very specific. He believed it would begin at 8 a.m. sharp on that day. Johann Jacob Zimmermann believed Jesus would return and the world would end in 1694. John Wesley, the founder of, uh, of Wesleyan Methodism, and believed that the millennium would begin in 1836. More recently, Hal Lindsey published a book called The Great Planet, Late Great Planet Earth, suggesting Christ would return in the 1980s, probably by 1988 at the latest. Uh, Bible teacher Jack Van Impey predicted many different days for the return of Christ and apparently finally gave up. There's a man by the name of Harold Camping who also had a number of dates that he proposed. And the most famous of those dates was May 21st, 2011. And for whatever reason, that got a lot of media attention. And you had a number of his followers um, who did really crazy things. They quit their jobs. They drained their life savings. They stopped putting money in their child's uh, college fund because they firmly believed the world was going to end uh, and the rapture was going to uh, occur on May 21st, 2011. And this was all over the news at that point. It was a worldwide phenomenon. And, of course, that day came and went. And so he changed his prediction that it was a spiritual rapture or something like that, and he may have come up with other dates after that. But in case you need more, there's still predictions of when the world is going to end or when the millennium is going to start. Uh, the evangelist Ken Hoven predicts 2028. Other dates include 2029, 2057. Uh, the famous scientist Isaac Newton predicted 2060 would be the day, uh, would be the year that Christ returns. And, and many of us are not so bold as to predict like the exact day or the hour that like, oh yeah, judgment day is going to begin at 8 a.m. on this particular day. But there's questions when it comes to the end time that we're curious about. Like I've always been curious about you know, the, the mark of the beast, 666, and like, what does that mean? Who does that refer to? What does that refer to? Like, is it a literal thing, or is it a figurative thing? And like, is that person alive, or, or what, what is he talking about there? And there's all these questions that we think about when it comes to the end times, and uh, part of it, like, sometimes it's like we just want to, um, you know, we're just curious. It's like, I mean, we just want to kind of know. It doesn't particularly matter uh, with some of these things, but we're just curious, or maybe we just want to know what God has spoken. We're trying to rightly divide uh, the word of truth. But then sometimes people, you know, they just kind of get fixated on these things. And, and there's churches or in ministries, people, it's like all they want to hear about is like the prophecies. And it's like, you know, what's going to happen here? What's going to happen there? Like, you know, this country refers to this person and this person refers to like, and, and trying to correlate everything to, to everything that's happening in the world today to end times events. And there's this fascination and it's like this fixation sometimes where it moves from beyond like curiosity or like, I just want to understand this to like this focus and fixation on it. And, and I would suggest sometimes, you know, maybe we do that because, you know, there's events that are coming that are outside of our control. And sometimes I think people maybe, you know, if, if they know exactly like, or they believe exactly when it's going to happen or exactly what's going to happen, it's like we have some kind of control over it. I mean, we're, in, we're not in control of what's going to happen. But if we know all the specifics, then we feel like, you know, then we're ready. Then we can prepare. Uh, Will Schwartz, the crossword editor of the New York Times and NPR, uh, also a puzzler or puzzle master, whatever they call it, said this, we're faced with problems every day in life. We almost never get clarity. 
We jump into the middle of a problem. We carry it through to whatever extent we can find an answer. And then we just find next to no, the next thing. But with a human-made puzzle, you have the satisfaction of being completely in control. You start the challenge from the beginning, and you move all the way to the end. That's a satisfaction you don't get much in real life. You feel in control, and that's a great feeling. And I wonder if in the face of the uncertainty of what is coming, sometimes people move from, again, from you know, just a curiosity or I just want to understand this to a focus on the end times and the specific events to the end times because it's like if we know exactly what's coming, then we you know, feel like we're in control of what's going to happen. Now, this passage is one of the most controversial passages in all of Scripture. And uh, even speaking to a couple people this morning who read this, it, you know, it, some people read this in preparation for today. Uh, they said a variation of something like this, like, dude, good luck. Like, good luck with this passage. And as we go through this passage, um, there's some things that I'm going to say, the interpretation that I'm going to argue here that may be different from maybe what you've heard before, uh, maybe not. And, and there's some of us that maybe as we look at this passage are going to be like, yeah, this makes sense. Like, I understand what he's saying. And, and there's others of us that are going to be like, eh, I, don't, I don't know. I don't, I, don't, I don't think so. That's completely fine. When it comes to things like this, it's okay if we disagree in the body of Christ. I mean, we, we come together as believers and we unite around the, the supremacy of God's word. We unite around the cross and what Jesus has done for us. But then there's other things that we really hold loosely. We may hold opinions. We might hold interpretations. But if we disagree, it's okay. That's healthy. And also, as we go through this passage, you're probably going to have questions at the end. That's okay. It's impossible in the span of 30 minutes to, to answer every question, to go through everything that we might think about in, in, as it comes to this very controversial passage. And so feel free to continue studying this passage afterwards. I would be happy to, to talk with you more about it, you know, if you're interested in doing that. Uh, but all that is to say that, you know, I'm going to give my take on this passage, and if you agree with that, great. If not, uh, that's okay too. But whether or not you agree with it or not, the takeaway for today, I'm confident we all can agree on it. The takeaway from, from, from today, where we're going, is something that we can all hold on to and, and, and I'm sure applies to all of us and is very clear from God's Word. So as we think about this passage, oftentimes when people think about this passage, there's a few different phrases that people pick up on uh, specifically as relating to the return of Christ. And the first that people often pick up on is this phrase in verse 6, and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. And I've often heard people say things like this. It's like, okay, there's wars, there's rumors of wars, and it's like, okay, there's a war in Ukraine, there's a war in Israel right now, there's rumors of, you know, could we go to war with Iran or could there be war with China or Russia and so there's wars and there's rumors of wars. And so some of us take that to mean, okay, that means Christ is going to come back like really soon. And I don't think that that's what this passage is saying. There's a number of reasons for this. First, again, look at what Jesus says at the end of verse 6. He says, see that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. 
So people take war and rumors of war to be signs that, okay, Jesus must be coming back like really, really soon. But Jesus says, okay, it's not yet. It's the beginning of growing, uh, of, of birth pains. So that's the first reason. But also, you know, when you think about kind of the history of the world, there was analysis that was done a few years ago. And uh, whoever did this analyzed the, the roughly 3,400 years of recorded history. And they found that only 8% of the time the world has been at peace. In the United States history, from 1776 to today, there's only been about 17 years that our country that has truly been at peace, not been involved in any conflict. And so basically 92% of the time, or maybe even greater than that, one might say there's wars, there's rumors of wars. The second phrase that people tend to pick up on is the sign of Jesus' return in verse 14. It says, in this king, gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. And so many people take this as a condition of Jesus returning, that the gospel has to be preached to all nations, and, and many people take that, you know, the Greek word ethne, referring not just to geopolitical nations, but to uh, people groups. And so they would say that the gospel needs to be preached to all people groups, and then the end will come. But I think the one problem with seeing these things as signs that Jesus is going to return imminently is what Jesus says in verse 34. He says, truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. So it seems that the clearest reading of the text here is that Jesus is saying that these things are going to happen before the disciples die, before their generation is gone. And I would argue that they actually did happen in their generation. Remember the immediate context that Jesus is talking about. Last week, we looked at the woes that Jesus pronounced against the religious establishment. We looked at his sorrow over uh, Jerusalem and how uh, he could foresee that the fact that it was going to be destroyed and the religious establishment was going to come to an end in Jerusalem. And so that's the context. And Jesus has just spoken again. We read it at the beginning of verse, uh, chapter 24 that Jesus says, no stone is going to be left unturned. And so the context of which he's talking about is the destruction of Jerusalem and the destruction specifically of the temple that was going to occur in 70 A.D. And the question that the disciples ask is we often take it as one question. And we look at this passage like, okay, like we just assume that it's talking about the end of time and the signs that Jesus are going to return. But there's two questions here that the disciples ask. The first one when will these things take place, which I take to mean the uh, destruction of Jerusalem and the temple uh, establishment? And then the second question is, what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Again, they're asking when the temple is going to be destroyed, and then secondly, when Jesus is going to return and when the world is going to end. And so my argument here is that the first 35 verses of this chapter are going to refer to that event in Jerusalem, the destruction of Jerusalem. And these are signs, specific uh, events that were going to occur before the destruction of Jerusalem. And as we look through uh, history, we see that there's a record of many of these things happen. Wars, rumors of wars, uh, messianic mo movements, people who are claiming to be the Messiah or claiming to bring in the messianic age. 
there was a famine during this time, uh, cataclysmic judgment that occurs in 70 AD. Um, and so we could see throughout history that many of these things occurred. And then we look at verses 29 to 31. And again, as we look at this, I believe it's, it's prophetic, figurative language. If you look at these particular terms, again, we don't have time to look at all the different allusions to the Old Testament. Um, but as we look at those terms, there are often references to things in the Old Testament speaking of the coming judgment of God. And specifically, as we think about um, the, passage, the, the verse 30, where it says the Son of Man is coming on the clouds of heaven, that word coming is actually different than the, the question that the disciples asked. The disciples asked, well, you know, when we want to know the signs of your coming, and that, that word was parousia. In verse 30, it's, it's not that word, it's erkamai. And so I would argue again that the verse, first 35 verses refer to the, the signs of the destruction of Jerusalem that was going, and, and the temple that was going to occur in 70 AD. And then in verse 36, it, it shifts. And also, you know, if, it, if it's all talking about the end times, it doesn't, this shift doesn't really make sense because Jesus gives all these signs. It's like, okay, yeah, there's going to be wars. There's going to be rumors of wars. There's going to be um, these messianic movements. And he gives these specific instructions about, like, people in Judea and where they're going to be in location to the, you know, this day occurring. But then in verse 36, it shifts, and it says, But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. For as in the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. That word coming is parousia, the return of Christ. And Jesus goes on to declare uh, that this coming day of the Lord, when he returns and the end uh, comes, will be a day that it's going to be like a thief in the night. He gives the argument like if you... You know, if, if someone had a thief breaking into their house, if they knew exactly when they were coming, then they would be prepared. He says, it's going to be like a thief. You're not going to know when it's going to come. You're not going to expect it. And, and things are going to be moving on in life that are just kind of, you know, expected things in life. He talks about joyful things. He's like, some people, they're going to be marrying and giving in marriage. They're going to be eating. They're going to be drinking. They're going to be engaged in, like, joyful things in life. Other people are going to be engaged in, like, ordinary parts of life. They're going to be out in the field picking grain. They're going to be grinding at the mill. They're going to be doing things that people do every day, and then that event is going to come upon them. And so there's no preparing. There's no warning. The day of the, the, of the Lord is going to come, and it says in the text that it's going to become like lightning. The coming of the Son of Man is going to become from lightning, verse 27, from the east shining to the west. So he says that this is an event that no one knows about, that not even he knows about at this point, that only the Father knows, and it's going to come like a thief in the night. And so his admonition is to be ready, to be awake. In the 1880s, if you wanted a good life, one place to find a good life was uh, in Johnston, Pennsylvania. The Pennsylvania Main Canal ran through uh, Johnston, Pennsylvania. There was a famous railroad. Uh, there was a company called the Cambria Ironworks. And so people were moving from all over the place to come to Johnston, Pennsylvania because it was a place where there was a lot of jobs. But not only was there a lot of jobs, 
but it was a beautiful place to live. There were mountains, there were beautiful forests, just gorgeous. Uh, so beautiful that, in fact, some really wealthy, famous people visited that city. Andrew Carnegie and Andrew Mellon uh, often would leave Pen uh, where they lived in Pittsburgh, and they would come to uh, this kind of private uh, country club type setting that someone had created above the city, and there was this dam where they had this, this fishing pond where they were fish and uh, they would hunt. It was a great city, great place to live. On May 30th, 1889, a huge rainstorm came through and dropped 6 to 10 inches of rain. Despite the weather, the next day there was a big Memorial Day parade along Main Street. The Methodist pastor, H.L. Chapman, said this about that day. He said, the morning was delightful. The city was in its gayest mood with flags, banners, and flowers everywhere. The streets were more crowded than we had ever seen before. It was a joyous day, beautiful day, in the most idyllic place you can imagine, a place of commerce, a place of beauty. But then the dam broke. The dam above the city broke, releasing four billion gallons of water. And as the water fell down to the, uh, to the city below, it hit the city 57 minutes later, was 60 feet high, traveling at 40 miles per hour, and it was a catastrophic event. 2,000 people died that day. It was one of the most deadly events in American history, only behind 9-11 and uh, Galveston Hurricane. But you think about like those situations, whether it was 9-11 or Hurricane or, or this event here, and it's like they were celebrating Life was good, everything was going great, and then in a moment, everything changed. Some of us have had those moments in our life where maybe everything was going well, and maybe we got a phone call that we weren't expecting, and it changed everything. Maybe we went to a doctor and got a diagnosis we weren't hoping for, weren't expecting. Things like that happen in life, and that's what it's going to be like when the Son of Man, when Jesus returns. It's going to, everything's going to be moving on, along as usual. And then in a moment, he's going to return. Everything's going to change. But here's where the rubber meets the road. What, whether you agree with kind of that interpretation, how I framed it or not, here's where the rubber meets the road. I think Satan would much rather have us focus on exactly when Jesus is going to return and what that's going to look like rather than are we going to be ready when he does return. I think that's where the rubber meets the road. It's not like exactly what's going to happen, but like, are we going to be ready? Like, that's the most important question that we need to figure out. Are we going to be ready when he does return? Because we're not going to have time. It's going to come like a thief in the night. Just going to come in a blink of an eye. Life is going to be going on, and he's going to return. And I have a question where I think, I think kind of, can help us gauge if we're really ready to meet him or not. So I'm going to make a statement and just sit with it for a moment. Jesus is coming soon. He could even come back this very hour or this very day. Now when I say that, what goes through your mind? Some, some of us, maybe we, I say that and we're like, hmm, maybe not today. Like, like I, I got some things I got to work through. Like, I got some relationships I got to fix, or I got some things that I'm doing that 
not really proud of. Like, maybe wait a little bit. Or, or some of us are like, well, life is going really good right now. Like, maybe wait a little bit longer till things maybe go south a little bit. But life is going really good, so maybe wait a little bit before you come back. So some of us are like, maybe not right now, Jesus. But others of us, when we hear that Jesus is coming soon, we say with the Apostle John, amen, come Lord Jesus. And maybe in our hearts, the deepest reaches of our hearts, we're like, like maybe today would be the day. Like maybe today would be the day that we meet the one that our soul longs for. Maybe today would be the day that he comes back and everything in our lives changes. And we worship him forever and ever. And and in our hearts we're like, yes, Lord Jesus, come. Even today, even this hour. Don't wait, don't tarry. We want to meet you today. I think that's a test for like, are we ready? Are we ready to meet him? Is it like, oh, wait a little bit. Like, I got stuff going on. I got to fix some things. Or is it, yes, Lord. This is what I want. This is what my soul has been longing for, to meet you, to experience life in your presence. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, many of us aren't ready. Some of us, maybe we're not ready because we don't know him. And maybe the prospect of him returning terrifies us. Thought of him coming in judgment terrifies us. But the good news of the gospel is our fear can be turned to anticipation. Because Jesus came to the earth, lived a sinless life, died on the cross, rose again, so that we could have a relationship with him that starts now, but goes on into eternity. The Bible says the way that we enter into that relationship is by grace through faith. Grace means it's it's a gift. It's not something that we earn, nothing that we could do to uh, deserve uh, a relationship with him. And faith is receiving that gift. Faith is saying, yes, I want that. I want a relationship with you. I want to follow after you. And so today your fear can turn to anticipation when you put your faith in Christ. And if there's anybody here who hasn't done that, I'd encourage you, make that commitment today. Begin a relationship with him today. And if you have questions about that, I would love to talk to you more about that, or, or Mike or Patrick, we'd love to talk to you more about that. Others maybe, uh, others of us maybe, we're believers, but if we're honest, we're not quite ready either. Some of us maybe have grown in love with the world. Maybe some of us, you know, to some of us the world seems more attractive than Christ. And so we don't long for his appearing, as the scriptures say. Because we're happy right where we're at right now. We like what's going on. The things of this world have blinded us. Some of us, maybe we aren't ready to meet Jesus because maybe we're holding on to some sin. We've always said, maybe tomorrow I'll deal with it. And we know that we're believers. We know that we're, we have a relationship with him. But we know if Christ returned today, we'd be ashamed of what we're doing. We've always said tomorrow, but the truth is, One day tomorrow will be too late. Others of us, maybe we have relationships in our lives that are broken. Maybe we've been holding on to unforgiveness. And maybe there's a wedge between us and another person. We've been holding on to that unforgiveness. And maybe we're not ready for Jesus to return because there's that separation. And we know we're holding on to something we shouldn't. Maybe some of us aren't ready to meet Jesus because maybe we have a 
complaining and bitter spirit. We're just looking at the negativity around us. And so our hearts aren't attuned to the things of Christ. There's really many reasons why we might not be ready to meet Jesus. But they all come down to this, like, are there things in our life that maybe are keeping us from our relationship with God? Are there things in our life that are keeping us from our relationships with other people? You know, when we think about this on like the coming of the Lord, we think about like the coming of the Lord and uh, or thinking about like the shortness or brevity of life, you know, it can get a little bit morbid. And I remember when I was growing up, I grew up in a Christian home, went to church, you know, regularly. I heard many different messages about the end times. And I loved messages like that said, okay, like there's these things that have to happen. Like there's, you know, the gospel has to be preached to every people group. And we're not there yet. And in my mind, I'd be like, okay, great. I got some more time. I can figure this out. And it wasn't like I was doing anything terrible. I was like, I got some more time. And often we think of the coming of Christ, and it's like, it's almost like a terrifying prospect. Or we think of the end of our lives, death, and we think of it as kind of a, a terrifying thing to think about. But really, I think Jesus gives us these things. He tells us to be awake, to be ready, because in that we find freedom. The, the late politician and teacher W.M. Lewis once said this, the tragedy of life is not that it ends so soon, but that we wait so long to begin it. The tragedy of life is not that it ends so soon, it's that we wait so long to begin it. It's not about how long we live as believers in Christ We'll live into an eternity. But are we living lives of purpose? Are we living lives of meaning? And the only way that we can live lives of purpose is when we are ready to meet him. Because when we're ready to meet Jesus, when we're like, okay, come Lord Jesus, even today, that's when we can truly love those around us. That's when we can truly sacrifice for the sake of the gospel. When we're right with God, when we're ready to meet him, that's when we can truly start to live. There's a man by the name of Robbie Robbins, and uh, he was an Air Force pilot during the first Iraq war. And it was, begin it was towards the end of the war. The war was basically over, and he had flown a number of missions. It was actually his 300th mission. And after his 300th flight, he was unexpectedly given the opportunity to fly home. So he gathered his crew together, and he fly fl flew his airplane home uh, flew into Massachusetts, and he lived in, in Pennsylvania. And so flew into uh, Massachusetts, made the long drive to Pennsylvania, drove all night long. And he got home, and it was just after dawn, and what he saw shocked him. As he pulled into his driveway, he saw a banner over the garage that said, Welcome home, Dad. Why this surprised him was he wasn't expecting to come home. He himself had no idea that he was coming home. There was no phone call. There was no text message. There was no indication to his family that he was coming home. But somehow, they were ready. Robin says this, When I walked into the house, the kids about half-dressed for school screamed, Daddy! Susan, his wife, came running down the hall. She looked terrific. Hair fixed, makeup on, a crisp yellow dress. How did you know, I asked. 
I didn't, she answered through tears of joy. Once we knew the war was over, we knew you'd be home one of these days. We knew you'd try to surprise us, so we were ready every day. What if we had that mindset in, as it comes to the return of Christ? What if we woke up every day and, and thought to ourselves, like, maybe today is the day. Maybe today is the day. And I want to make sure that I'm ready in everything that I do. That I'm loving God, that I'm loving those around him. Because if this is the day, I want my dad to be proud. What if we had that mindset? So the question I leave with you today is, are you ready to meet him? Are you ready to meet him not when you die? Not a few years from now. Are you ready to meet him today? Because the day of the Lord is going to come like a thief in the night. There's no preparing for it. In the blink of an eye, life is going to be going on, and everything's going to change. Are you ready to meet him today? I'd like to close with the words of Jesus, spoken through the, uh, the Apostle John in Revelation chapter 22. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me, to repay each one for what he's done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city out of the city gates. Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecies of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away the words of this, prophecy, of this book and of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life, and in the holy city, which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Surely, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Uh, with every head bowed, every eye closed, in just a moment, we're going to sing one final song. We're going to dismiss. But in these final moments, just in a moment of silence, I'd just like to give you an opportunity to give all of us an opportunity to just do business with God and to ask yourself, is there a reason why that in my life where maybe I'm not ready to meet you? Maybe there's a reason. Maybe it's a sin that we're holding on to. Maybe it's a relationship that's broken that we realize we need to do something about. And I'll give you just a few moments of silence here to maybe speak to God and, and listen to what he's saying. And maybe if you're here and you're not, and you're like, well, I am ready to meet him. Like, there's nothing in my life that I'm holding on to. Maybe you just sit in this moment and say, Lord, I love you. Thank you the fact that you are coming to make all things right. And just spend a moment praising him. So I'll just give you about 30 seconds, a minute of silence just to do business with God.
Father, we acknowledge that our lives are a vapor here today, gone tomorrow. Lord, we acknowledge that life is short. We acknowledge that there is so much uncertainty in our lives, but we also acknowledge that for those of us who belong to you, we're held firmly and securely in your eternal arms. Lord, I pray that each day that we live, we would live it as if it were our last. That each day that we live, whether we're going to work or going to school or being a, a, a parent, no matter what we're doing, help us to have that acknowledgement in our hearts that this could be the day that you've returned. Help us not to hold on to bitterness or unforgiveness. Help us not to put off to tomorrow what you've called us to change today. But most of all, Lord, I pray that in our hearts, you would be our greatest treasure, that you would be our greatest delight. And as we look forward to your coming, that we would look forward to it with anticipation, with joy, that yes, we have work to do here. Yes, there's things that maybe we want to accomplish or people we want to you know, reach in this world but that our hearts long to meet with you. Lord, we love you. Help us to be people who are ready to meet you every single day. In Jesus' name I pray.